This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by the Millstone Manor Geriatric Instrument Company. Does your Auntie Vim no longer have the vigor to wrap her legs around her cello? Are your advancing years preventing you from playing those extra low notes on your trombone? Try Millstone Manor Geriatric Instruments. Our Pensioners Plus range makes playing music easy again. Free teas made with every purchase. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Sir? Hurrah! Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Mr. Brandon. Hello, Unanimous. You know, How are you all I'm doing hearing tonight? a distinctive lack of a ringing sound in my ear, and I don't have tinnitus. Um, Gladys is on strike. There's a local bell uh, ringers association strike. Did you know that? I did and not. What, what along is she the Mississippi, for? from all the way from Louisiana all the way up to um, Minneapolis. What are their demands? They don't want to ring their bells anymore. That's. <laughs> They say that they're being put out of work by all the iPhones in the world. Anyway, <laughs> we wish her well. So, how you been doing, uh, Unanimous? Um, we're getting down towards the end of uh, the podcast. Kind of shocking, to, right? To the nitty gritty, as Mrs. Slocum might say. Nitty gritty. But how you been, Mr. Jeff? I've been okay. Uh, the weather has definitely turned. Um, it's been quite foggy here where I am this uh, the past couple of days, and... Today was the last day that the sun is going to set after 6 p.m. until springtime. So uh. don't let the sun go down on me, Mr. Jeff, is what you often say. Anyway, depends on very how nice, handsome he is. Very nice plug there for your favorite artist that you oh, recently saw in concert. Elton John. Love you. Love you, Elton. If, you're, if Elton John is a listener, well, that would be a, a catch, right? So, <laughs> Could go. you imagine? There was Elton John referenced in the Are You Being Served, right? That is correct. That is correct. Besides, um, there was the outright reference, but also there was the glasses that Mr. Humphreys tried on the eyeglasses. And the nurse said, it makes you look like Elton John. Very sexy or something. She had that lovely (laughs) low smoker's voice. It's so cute. Yeah. Jeremy Vernon. Yeah. 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 So we've been hearing from the people, have we not? We have, we have indeed, Mr. Brandon, we have. We, we got a voicemail from a lost listener, and I couldn't quite make out what was happening there. Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes um, the crazies get through uh, the switchboard <laughs> operator. The, we're going to have to try to get the barrel. unpaid intern to... Barrel. Barrel, you know. Listen, honey. Ho- okay, hold on just a sec. Barrel. Yeah. Remember what we talked about last week? You got to do better, hon. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, no Earl Grey for you. Okay. We'll talk to Beryl. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so we, we got a strange voicemail. Uh, let's listen to it now, shall we? Good evening. Um, I'm looking for perfumery, stationery, and leather goods, wigs and haberdashery, kitchenware and food, telephone, gents, ready-made suits, shirts, socks, ties, and hats, Underwear and shoes. I need carpets, travel goods, and bedding materials, and soft furnishing, restaurants, and teas. Am I going up? Please return my call. Can you guide me? Thank you, sir. 
I don't know if this person has been paying attention if they don't know where everything is because <laughs> the, the theme song clearly states which floor everything's on. And honey, Grace Brothers shut down because we are in Millstone Manor now, and we know we know that, right? Um, <laughs> maybe he could try um, uh, Austin Reed. I've been hearing very interesting things coming from Austin Reed, haven't we, Mister Mister Jeff? I've been hearing more interesting stuff about Swan and Edgar's myself. So, ooh, if only Gladys was here to ding. Um, <laughs> yes, um, Mayo Copa, that was a friend of the show, Dillop, and he was uh, a little confused. Uh, but that kind of suits his personality if you knew him. So thanks for listening. Uh, but if you, uh, I will say, this is a good reminder to let the Unanimous know, Mr. Jeff, um, how many episodes of the original content do we have left? So we've got this episode, and the next one is the finale. So oh, keep your eyes peeled God. on the social media, because we are going to be opening up nominations for the Pussy Awards um, coming up soon. So we'd love to hear what your favorites are for the different yes. categories that our uh, esteemed committee will be selecting. Yes, and once our esteemed committee can remember to make the graphics for social media, <laughs> uh, they will uh, post those out. So it'll be kind of fun maybe for like the, um, I don't know if it deserves its own episode um, after we review the final um, episode of Grace and Favor, Stroke, Are You Being Served Again? Uh, but yeah, so that'll be fun. Yeah. And so while you're thinking of who you want to nominate, please take a break and go wash your hands because it's probably been a minute since they've been washed. Wash Get, make sure your vaccines are up to date. Uh, in the United States, please register to vote. If you can vote, vote. early, do so. Vote, this vote, is vote. that kind of uh, time of season to do so. Yep. Um, and as always, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. And you've all done very well. And uh, big news in the UK, um, as of this minute when we're recording, the United Kingdom has its first uh, Asian... Uh, and Hindu. brown person, a uh, prime minister, I believe, right? Yeah. Uh, exciting. His, all of his uh, competitors ran out, dropped out of the race, including Boris Johnson. So it's not like official yet, but mm, all yeah, signs yeah. are pointing to uh, That's why I'm like, as of this recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, did you see the, uh, the salad or the cabbage? And they're like, let's see the if this cabbage, the lettuce lasts long than Ms. Trust. I'm sure she's a lovely person. Don't know much mm, about so her sure governing. About I don't know. Well, neither did she, apparently. I wonder, oh, I wonder if the lettuce voted for Leaf or Romaine in the Brexit uh, vote a couple years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> Moving right on. We're not in going to encourage that kind other, of behavior on the podcast. <laughs> in other news, shall we just dive right into the episode? Yeah, so, Mr. Jeff, take us back uh, next to the last time, actually. Uh, what was going on when this fabulous, somewhat racist, I'll say, episode uh, originally aired in the United Kingdom. So we're talking about Series 2, Episode 5, The Mongolians, which originally premiered on February 1st, 1993. So we already know what was at the top of the charts in both the U.S. and the U.K., so we're not going to go down that road again. Um, <laughs> but other songs... It's the Whitney Houston uh, number, right? That's right, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, the other songs uh, rounding out the top ten in both countries are include Ordinary World by Duran Duran, Seven by okay. Prince and the New Power Generation, and Independence by Lulu. <gasps> Lulu. Everyone loves Lulu. Yeah. That week in the news, <laughs> Vaclav Havel became the first president of the newly independent Czech Republic after the Velvet Revolution and Velvet Divorce from Slovakia. Okay, um, big deal. The, 
the Rodney King trial began in Los Angeles, um, the federal trial of four police officers. Uh, we all know that they would eventually, uh, eventually become um, acquitted and lead to the Los Angeles riots of the summer of 93. And okay. then Carmen Electra released her first self-titled debut album, which Prince produced. And this was long before she was in Playboy, before she was in Baywatch, before she hosted Singled Out, before she dated Dennis Rodman, before she married uh, Dave Navarre from Jane's Addiction. This was like her first entry into Hollywood. You know, it's funny because a lot of when you do the, uh, okay, this happened in this day, everything yeah. seems to be very, like, not timely. But now Carmen Electra releases herself to debut album with Prince and Baywatch and Dennis Rodman. It seems very 1993 all of a sudden. <laughs> I tried to throw in as many 1993 references as I possibly could. And Tamagotchis were all the rage. Um, oh, good God, no, no. That's too early for Tamagotchis. Is it? Oh, gosh. Tamagotchis didn't come out until the late 90s. Or We're going to have the, the Tamagotchi podcast come after us now. So. <laughs> if there isn't a Tamagotchi podcast, goddamn, there ought to be one. But, <laughs> anyway, so let's open the scene. What's going on when we first turn on the episode? So we open on Mavis sitting in the horse carriage in a very lovely dress that does not have any holes in it. So she's going somewhere important, you know. She's it's been just a good day going, to be Mavis that morning. She's just not going to, uh, to you know, uh, give the horse an exercise. She's actually going into town. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out that she is. Uh, Mr. Thorpe's train arrives in 20 minutes. And because they're trying to economize, they're not going to send a taxi for him, but they're going to pick him up on the horse. I would love if I want to save some money, I will just take my horse and carriage. Like, that's... Yeah. So cute. Of course, it's silly. Like, oh, it'd probably be like five pounds back then or whatever. How much money are you really saving? But right. it does allow us to film a beautiful scene again along that lovely country road with the That's archway true. of trees. And uh, yeah, so nice. And then Mr. Humphreys makes his grand entrance. In his red riding jacket, right? Uh, Definitely so coating good. him as the horse rider, right? Yeah. Um, he, he put too much starch in his jod purse so he can't get his leg up. So we get a great bit where Mr. Rumbold has to hoist him onto the horse. Which is unusual for him, isn't it? It is unusual. It is indeed. It is indeed. And Mr. Humphreys has never ridden a horse before. You know, he's getting this practice in because he's lived in the country for about a year now. And so he's got to be able to uh, handle these animals. So I love how – is this is this before the, or after when um – Mavis says, you've got, has anyone ever told you you have lovely hands? And then he says something like, not in this context, no. <laughs> that's, no, that's exactly it. And, and he tries to motivate the horse to go by, mm. you know, the only animal he knows is a dog or his mother's cat. So he says, walkies, like he's walkies. taking the dog for a walk. Right? <laughs> okay, pop quiz. What other episode was walkies uttered in the original series? Um... Would it be the one where they took over the pe the um, toy department? No. Any true fan would know this, Mr. Jeff. Oh, no. Oh, God. Which one was I it? How to take away the award. It's the one where it might be in Roots, which, honestly, we, we've, we're sort of collectively purging from our databanks, mm. I guess. Um, for some reason, it's it might be Roots because it's where Mr. Humphreys is doing the Scottish sword dance. And then he has a sporran, mm -hmm. and then he takes it out, and he like it becomes his compact with a mirror, so he like touches yes. up his makeup, and right. then he puts it on the floor, and then Mrs. Slocum says, 
and then like somehow the sporn turns into a dog and oh, then like dashes right. okay. away. Yes. Remember? I do remember was, that. And that, I think that, that was, was Roots. Roots. That was yeah. Roots, yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so Mavis tells him that the command is actually G up. And that is because um, when you're when you're driving a horse, uh, to get the horse to turn right or um, away from the driver is to G. And to get it to turn left or towards the driver is haw. So G and haw are the two commands. I wonder if this is where the idea of yee-haw comes from. Oh, maybe. Possibly. Mm, my arkins and roots are coming out now. Yeah. Okay. As, you, as well, you know, that where you grew up in Brooklyn, there are a lot of horse riding <laughs> happening in your childhood. So that makes sense. Peek behind the black curtain. We are not from northern Mississippi native. Pink like curtains. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Back at the stables, Miss Lovelock is shoveling hay, and uh, Peacock is mentioning his time in the Bengal Lancers, which was the British uh, army in India. Um, okay. And Miss Lovelock takes quite an interest, right? You know, we, we know that Peacock tells a tall tale about how he fought, yeah. chased Rummel across the desert, and... You know, he really was only in the catering corps. But Miss Lovelock is really taking a keen interest. And she's, her eyes are big and wide as she's listening to tell the stories. And she's asking, you know, well, did you do any pig sticking? Which is um, chasing, hunting wild boar. I didn't know what that was. And my eyes got a slight larger uh, than than otherwise. But right. I'm glad you just explained what that meant. Right. Um, there's so much <laughs> about you I don't know. Did you have bears and punkawalas and all that? So... Here, here's yeah. the thing. I, 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 I was I, expecting you to explain all of that when I watched it. I, I feel like we've talked about this word before, but I could be wrong. So I'm going to break down punkawallas. I'll start with walla first. Um, okay. Sounds Australian to me somehow. <laughs> no, not at all. Not in the no? least. Okay. Um, <laughs> have you ever heard of uh, the term chaiwala in Indian culture? No. Okay. Uh, so Chaiwala is someone who works in an office that is responsible for making and bringing everybody tea. Chaiwala, right? Walla is like worker. Okay. And so you could have Dishwallas as well, which is also the name of a, a one-hit wonder band in the U.S. in the late 90s. Uh, but you could also have, um, oh, God, what are the people who do the laundry uh, uh, outside of Mahalakshmi? Um Oh, I forget, but they're also some other kind of walla. So walla means worker, right? And a punka okay. is that big rattan fan. If you picture, if you were to have a picture uh, in your mind of um, a sitcom displaying Egyptian royalty, you've got someone reclining, being fed grapes, and two people oh, fanning yes, yes, them, yes. right? And it's like the long pole with like the almost like a spade, like from the playing cards at the end yes. of it, and they're slowly going up and down yes. to make a breeze. Oh, okay, right. gotcha. And so huh. when you when you put that fan on a pulley system so that it's fanning from the ceiling, not at, like, floor level, it's called a punka. And the person who operates it by pulling on the, the rope is a punkawala. Oh, my God, so they didn't have a motor for it. It's some poor guy's job just to pull a rope and over and over. Wow. Right, okay. to ventilate the room, right? Okay. Did you have yeah. bearers and punkawalas? That's a lot of hidden <laughs> definition. That's, that's a lot, yeah. For for people in the not early 90s of Britain to be so familiar with Indian culture in the 50s to know what the punkawalas were. I yeah. guess this is also going back to like 
the audience of the t- of the show, right? I right. mean, it's probably people who grew up with the with the cast, and the cast are looking, you know, sixtyish, like sixtyish at least, I'd say. Indeed. Um, so interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's probably almost a bit like talking about forty fives these days, like in twenty twenty two. Like, do people know what a forty five is? No, but if you're old enough, you do. Yeah, I guess, like I guess singles. that's true. I don't know. Uh, you know, Miss Lovelock Pines. You know, I, I really wish that I would have met you, uh, known you back then. Back then, when, when she was like a child, if she was even born yet, right? <laughs> no, but when and he was, Cap- he was younger, is what she's thinking. And, and, and Captain Peacock says, "Well, you know me now," oh. and she it, turns him down. Well, it's not quite the same thing, is it? Right? <laughs> turns I really him down. That All was right, cute. now. Yeah. Now we're back to normal. Okay. Yeah, she. It's, I, it's so cute. Like this whole thing, the audience is just like, are they or aren't they? Will they or won't they? Is he or isn't he? Is it uh, here? Another reference, he, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and of course, she kind of fed it a little bit. Oh, you must have been. So, I wish I had known you back then. Our friend of the show, Joanne uh, Haywood, of course. Um, but then he. Um, well, I know you now. I love it. It's just a little bit of a little tease, and then it completely falls flat. A that. little tease it's, of what might have been. Yeah, and I love we asked uh, Joanne, uh, Miss Haywood, excuse me, um, do you think they would have ever gotten together? And I think she said, no. No, yeah. it would never happen. <laughs> this, is, this is an example of that, right? So Back in the kitchen, Mrs. Sokum and Miss Brahms are having an early morning gossip uh, about how Captain Peacock has the hots for Miss Lovelock. Of course. And then they start talking about that, that they don't get um, as many advances from gentlemen these days as they used to. But Miss Brom says, well, I still, I still get a bit of come hither every now and then. <laughs> and they make this over-exaggerated winking motion with their face. It almost looks like, like they're having like some kind of tick or something, right? Or like something, in, an eyelash is caught in their eyeball right. or something. <laughs> I've always had a preference for older men. Well, yes, Miss Brahms, but not so often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aw. I have to say, um, Wendy Richard looked really beautiful in this scene. Um, M- Molly Sugden was getting to look ma- matronly, I'll say. And I've said before that she reminds me of my grandmother when I watched this in 93. But I have to say, like, Wendy Richard saying, oh, you know, I still have guys hit on me, basically. And then, you know, Mrs. Slocum, well, I do too, of course. But um, she well, also really remember beautiful. That, that for this scene, Miss Brahms was up and bathed and dressed for the day already. Mrs. Slocum was still in her dressing gown. She hadn't put on her face or anything yet. Oh, okay. But close yeah. the third, the fourth wall, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we cut to the country road, and um, Humphreys and M- Mavis are on the horse, and a bicyclist pulls up, and it's Malcolm Heathcliff from the cricket <gasps> I match. No. I love how, um, how angry. Uh, He's so uh, angry. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's always something about like walking down a hallway or going through the woods and uh, being what, in a what, dark say? lane at night, right? You'll you'll you're sure you're sure to get a surprise in the woods. <laughs> so, Mister, we're back at the manor, and Mister Moulter is yelling as soon as he gets into the kitchen, and Miss Slocum is offended because he should have knocked because she sat there in her dressing I'm gown. I'm in my nighting my nightgown. Right, he, she's uh, almost indecent. Well, Mr. Moulter has seen everything back when she was in the Land Girls in the War. Was it all in my imagination when you was in the Miss Lovely Legs competition in 1942 in Tiverton? And who won a lobster for coming in third, right? <laughs> then Miss, Miss Brahms like, how many people were in the competition? And he says, four. Four. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, Mr. Slocum is, is keeping up this ruse that Mr. Moulter has made this all up. They did not know each other when they were children. Yeah. They oh. certainly never went around together. But sure, pride takes the best of her. It was 16. 16 realized, people in the competition. And then she realizes what she's done, and then Molly Sugden mumbles shit under her breath. So it's not <laughs> audible, but if you could read lips, she clearly says it because she knows, or a character knows she's been caught, which yeah. I think is great. Oh, right? Mrs. Mrs. Rumbold encourages her to go upstairs and get ready because Mr. Thorpe is on his way from the train station. He's in town because there's a question about a booking that was made a few months ago. So okay. here we are, 10 minutes into the episode, and we have our first glimpse into something that might be related to the plot of the title of this episode. The Mongolians. Right? Is, are you so happy, or is it too late, according to your um, algorithms? Well, you know what? Considering considering that I had low expectations for this episode, because this I thought it was just going to be... this is episode. Right. I thought this was going <laughs> to be a bunch of Genghis Khan bullshit throughout the entire yeah. episode. It's okay. I'd rather they spend less time doing... Making the, Mongolian yeah, jokes. Making Mongolian laughing. jokes. Yeah. Right. I'll take it. Um, we'll, we'll take it, basically. Right. Um, uh, so Mr. Thorpe had a lovely ride, and he was so comfortable, was he not? He was not at all. He was expecting a taxi. He's from London. So he's wrapped up in the blanket in the front. And, you know, it was a very bumpy, cold ride. Mr. Humphreys had a lay down in the back because Malcolm had shot an arrow into his hat with a note in it, right? <laughs> Can I just comment on his outfit? It's adorable because it's like a, like a crimson red jacket, um, mm-hmm. white, not jumpers. What, how, what, what do you call them? Jodhpurs. Jodhpurs. Those are the little riding pantaloons, like stir- I Stir pants, yeah. Stir pants and uh, cute little boots. And he had this cute little black bowler hat on. If you've ever seen, like, Ye Olde Country Gentleman magazine or something from the 50s. <laughs> and it's always, like, white men jumping around on a horse, and they're always wearing that outfit, mm-hmm. you know? It's really cute. Um, Halloween's coming up. If I had the druthers, I would go as Mr. Humphreys in this episode. Just saying. <laughs> so this note from Malcolm says, Don't go out down any lanes, even in daylight, or you'll find some rough lads waiting for you. And Mr. Humphrey's response to it is decisions, decisions, right? Not only that, but he looks directly into the camera. He That's one thing about this episode. He did a lot of, like, throwback stuff. He did. Like, in this episode he to did other indeed. episodes, right? He did. Uh, love it. Decisions, decisions. We get, we get a great pussy joke here <laughs> that I think is um, very often in, in Grace and Favor, whenever they do make a pussy joke, it's quite out of context. Yeah. This one is as well, but it fits. You know, Mrs. Slocum comes down the stairs. Oh, I'm sorry if I kept you waiting. I heard a meowing while I was putting my nightclothes away and my pussy was trapped in my drawers, right? Oh, my God. Moving right along. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, moving right along. So, <laughs> so we get to the crux of the episode and the booking is yeah. qu- in question was made by a tour group from Outer Mongolia. So where, where is let, Outer Mongolia exactly? Let's do a little where in the world is Carmen San Diego and talk about Mongolia, right? Okay, okay. So um, the, the country that is now known as Mongolia got its independence in 1911. Uh, it okay. used to be part, part of China, and it was partitioned. So actually, it's Inner Mongolia and Outer Mongolia, and Inner Mongolia is a region of China, and okay. Outer Mongolia is the country as we know it today, of Mongolia, that's sandwiched in between China and Russia. Got it, um, okay. 
At the time of the booking some months ago, uh, the Mongolian dung was 200 to the pound, but now it's fallen to 500 to the pound, right? So, so it's gone the, down the, in value. The currency a lot. has, has um, devalued. So here is the first of many um, questionable, at best, jokes that have been made, right? Um, yeah. To call the currency, to name the currency after manure is a cheap shot. However, Okay. However, the Vietnamese, the name of the Vietnamese currency actually is the dong. It's spelled D-O-N-G, but it's pronounced dong. So... Okay. So uh, suddenly it doesn't sound as bad, but okay. uh, Yeah, it's it's questionable because, you know, the currency, the, the, the issue of the money is so central to the plot that if they wanted to be a little bit more earnest about it they could have said vietnam but you know this is the 90s the the vietnam war was just 20 years before and even though the uk was not one of the aggressors in that it still had worldwide notoriety you know mongolia is somewhat exotic because who knows a lot about mongolia you know it doesn't get spoken about it's somewhat mysterious it's an easy target for comedy yeah, it was – I mean it's it's going to be one of many kind of little jokes that sadly seem more of the 70s than the 90s in terms of mm-hmm. making fun of people for who they are, uh, which, you know, in mea culpa, a lot of our listeners have said, hey, lay off the political stuff, guys. You know, okay. Um, but, you know, making fun of people for who they are and for being different than like Anglican – Englishy kind of culture is kind of just cheap and kind of – it right, rightfully sounds and feels very old fashioned. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know. th- there's there's a way there's a way to introduce the concept of a tour group from a country that no one knows anything about, and none of them speak English. You have to have an interpreter, and there are some mis there are some threes company style misunderstandings due to the language barrier. There's a way to do that where everyone is in on the joke and no one's the butt of the joke. But at, once we get to the performance, there are things that are just um, sloppy, I, I would say, in terms yeah, of, the, of course, some of the, the choices that were made. And you think maybe you can make up a fake country, like something, a stan or, or yes, whatever. Yes, exactly. You know? Exactly. But they didn't. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. We still love Are You Being Served. Please do not send us hate mail. <laughs> So the Mongolian currency actually did devalue in 1993. Uh, it is not called the dong; it's called the turgric. And uh, in okay. mo- from for most of 1992, when the booking would have been made, it was about 125 turgric to the pound. And then in February 93, it would be 100 turgric to the pound. So it devalued a little bit, not as much as um, they said in the episode. You know, it devalued by about 20 percent. Whereas in the episode, it devalued by about 40%. Which, you know, there may, but the, the question that I had this entire time is mm. if they included a check with the booking, why didn't Mr. Thorpe cash it when it was booked? Because he could have converted it then and got the, gotten the value that day. I mean, unless there was some policy at the manor to only take <laughs> payment at the time of the stay. Only on that does suit, madam. Do we question the financial policies of Millstone Manor, and uh, are they retroactive or not? That's that's there you go. 
So Captain <laughs> Peacock has the simple idea, well, we just have to provide them bed and breakfast and that's it. It shouldn't be that expensive. Well, no, they bought the full board plan, so they've got to get three meals a day. Okay. And they're expecting a cultural event, like something with the Royal Ballet or the English National Opera or someone from Stratford-upon-Avon, you know, the Shakespeare. Mm. Um, <laughs> so they're trying to think of who they can call on favors from. And Mrs. <laughs> Slocum recalls that back of the store, well, I once sold Vanessa Redgrave a red beret, a Macintosh, and a pair of plimsolls. She wears them quite often. She might remember me. <laughs> okay. Uh, plimsolls Maybe. are a pair of shoes that are very similar to Ked's. Those canvas pull-on type shoes. Oh, my God. I love that yeah. she said she wears them quite often, so therefore she <laughs> must think of me every time she puts them on. Right? So cute. And Mr. Humphreys once turned over for Sir Malcolm Sargent, which gets a good laugh. Um, so he was a famous conductor that was well-known as a womanizer. So, you <laughs> so know, this is maybe Mr. Humphreys is one of those women. <laughs> right, right. That's the, that's the joke. Right? Uh, do we need to explain who is Vanessa Redgrave? Uh, Vanessa Redgrave is a famous uh, TV actress, uh, and she was on quite a few American dramas. Was She's she also on on, um, on the West End and in Broadway as well, on, in, in the theater. Yeah, was um, she on Dynasty? Oh, or I don't know. Dallas. But... I feel like she was on one of those. You've probably seen her, Vanessa Redgrave. She's an English actress, I think. You know, it's funny because this episode r- just really reminds me of the one earlier where they had to put on. A silly, not a silly. Well, it was silly. A little like West West Country sing along fertility dance, right? Right for the other um, for the other the Americans. Word. That's right. And the Americans were so dumb. Like we don't, we won't know any better. They won't know any better if uh, if they don't if it's not authentic. So let's just do something. You know, it's almost like we 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 have a good episode, but we need some more stuff. So let's just make them do something for the audience. Because it's a bunch of talented actors who can do it, right? So the staff decide that they're going to take out an advert in the local paper and see if there's any local amateur societies that will be willing to put on a show for, um, for a, ch- a cheaper wage at the manor. Because we haven't seen the people and they have to put on a show. But luckily, we know, was it, what, two episodes ago? Where they all had to impersonate people from the village. From the village, you know? Uh, we had that's Mad right Jim. when Mr. when Mr. Slocum came back to visit. Oh, right? Mr. Slocum, yeah. And then we had the people who had to do the fertility dance, and then Mr. <laughs> Captain Peacock was the tree, and they had to like pull the apples from the tree, and he had that sour face. Right. Oh my right. god, that was good. Wow. Why don't we take this opportunity to head on down to the canteen and have a tea break? Yeah, hopefully. Um, Mr. Moulterd won't burst in. Last time I was down there and he said, Sorry to interrupt while you've got your snouts in the trough. And I had to roll my eyes. But anyhow. So we'll be right back after a quick on nip down to the canteen. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. 
handbag, or an official podcast sofa pillow, perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does It Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. And hey, we're back. Hope you enjoyed our uh, lovely message in the middle of the episode. What did you have for uh, canteen break time, Mr. Jeff? Well, I actually went down to the shopping mall down the street and went to the food court and had some Mongolian wok. Oh, that doesn't sound very authentic. No, it, it wasn't at all. I really couldn't tell the difference between that and the Chinese food and the Japanese food that they also served in the mall. So It depends. if they. I think if they give you an egg roll, it's Chinese, and if they give you a... Um bowl of miso soup it's japanese food i think i don't know um i just had fairy cakes as my as my standard of course (laughs) so anyhow so i think as we left last time um we were going through the mail with mr rumbold i think yeah so it's a few days later and he's seeing if there's been any responses to the advert in the paper and there's only been one for a man who puts ferrets down his pants and dances to handles water music which apparently is an old-fashioned, funny, comedic, cultural legacy of Yorkshire, England. Apparently, because Mr. Moulter does it as well. Well, maybe maybe his grandparents were from, from uh, York or something. I don't know. Um, very funny, but... Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. I'm an American. I don't know why you would put ferrets in your trousers. I mean, I guess anything to do with trousers is, like, titillating and cheeky, I guess. When did the rumor start that Richard Gere um, had uh, an affinity for gerbils? Oh, that's a whole other type of, of, of rumor, I think. Was this around the same time, though? Because that would have been a great kind of um, crossover there, or quite a cultural <laughs> reference. But Well, putting ferrets in one's trousers and that rumor about Richard Gere are quite a different quite set a of different scenarios, thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mr. Humphrey's got a parcel in the mail, and his mother sent him his old photo book. Uh, Uh And so we think that we're going to get to go down memory lane, but it just serves as an aside every once in a while for um, Mr. Humphrey's and Mavis to reconnect, right? It doesn't really contribute to the the plot at all, Uh, either the plot of the Mongolian tourist group or the plot of Malcolm being jealous, right? Yeah, I wonder if this is, you know, um, and this would kind of be interesting to have Ms. Haywood comment on, uh, if I agree to, okay, so I I did this TV series in the 70s and 80s, I'm beloved, and they want to do a new series 10 years after we stop. Okay, yes, but I want at least 25% of every episode to feature my character. Mm-hmm. And to reach that twenty five percent, oh, let's do, or maybe it's something when you write a show. I don't know. Yeah, but you need some. You know, filler. I, I think you it's need the really cute. Yeah, to have like Mavis and, and Mr. Humphreys just chatting, and yeah. you see Mavis just longingly look over at him, and with those beautiful eyes, it's just little hearts are coming out of it. It's really cute. But right. yeah, you're right. It didn't it didn't really contribute too much to the to the story. But I do think it is a great contrast to um, Love Luck and Peacock. Getting to yeah. know each other. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. You know? Yeah. Good point. Um, well, there, you know, Humphreys is showing the pictures off, and there's me granddad throwing me in the air, and there's him missing me, and there's me in the ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's interesting because, like, those younger listeners, like, um, the, if you wanted to find someone to do something, you had to put an ad in the paper. And if you wanted to share photos, you had to have your mother mail them to you. And those photos are quite valuable. Nowadays, ten a penny, as they say. As they say, right, because it's all Things digital change, and instant and available. Yeah. Um, this the the pictures or the story of um, uh, Mr. Humphreys getting knocked unconscious when his grandfather dropped mm-hmm. him prompts Mr. Rumble to tell a story how he was at the dentist once under gas, and he regressed to a past life, and he remembered being something big in Egypt, and this <laughs> is a great setup for Mr. for Ms. Brahms to yeah, tell yeah, yeah. an oft missed uh, Juggers joke, which we haven't gotten one in a uh-huh. while. Yeah, she holds yeah. the you know the cinnamon buns to her ears. She goes, "What a sphinx!" And so we get that, and I think it's a great throwback, a great little love letter to any a of the fans of the show. A little love letter, a little piece of meat. Yeah. yeah. Aw. <sighs> so because they haven't gotten any talent from the ad in the paper, uh, Miss Mavis says, well, why don't you just ask my dad? Because he knows everyone in town. He knows what everyone's good at. He'll ring everyone up, which seems like the most logical thing to do, but you know, why would they want to stoop so low as to... Um, speak to Mr. Moulter, right? Because there's still a, exactly. a lot. There's still a lot of upstairs, downstairs feeling between the Moulters and the uh, Grace Brothers staff. Oh, and speaking of that, uh, Miss Brahms at, at one point, uh, in he, Miss Mrs. Slocum was sort of like chiding him and go away and you stop stop coming in and you know basically uh-huh. getting on to Mr. Moulter. And then Miss Brahms walks up to him and says, "That'll be enough of all that. You take this out and go back to the backyard or whatever." Like she, she kind of tells him what to do, and he says, "Yes, ma'am." And then he starts walking away, and Mrs. Slocum says, "Why can't you do that when I tell it?" And then he says, "Well, I respects her." And yeah. Then why? How do you have such a way with with Mister Mister Moltard? Uh, and Miss Brahms says, "Oh, I've always had a way with animals." Yep. <gasps> Oh, I thought that was kind of going beyond the pale a little bit there, but uh. but it's 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 out of character for Miss Brahms to be classist, especially because she comes from Docklands and Catford <laughs> in the East, you know. Um, yes. Um, but that and, was a little. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll get there, and we'll get there because I have something to say about that. How that plays oh, okay, into okay. this episode, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so they're all deciding who's going to audition the singers, as if they're going to do it one by one. We all know that they're going to sit by committee anyway, right? Yeah. Um, but we have a, a great opportunity for Mrs. Slocum to give one of her malaprops. You know, I love that New Zealand singer, uh, Carrie Terry, Worry, what's her name? Uh, yeah, and, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a 1993 thing. I, I didn't get it. Well, there's a famous New Zealand opera singer named, uh, Kiri Tekanala, um, which is a, okay. a, a, a Maori name, uh, but she's actually half Irish, half, half Maori. And okay. She's oh, actually, Carrie, Terry, Worry, what's her name? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh. Uh, and here we got Miss Brahms. You know, used to take elocution lessons, but she felt out of place speaking Pashi in Catford. Uh, and this is the third time that Miss um, Brahms has mentioned being from Catford. So I don't know mm. if she moved there um, from Docklands or that's where she was born and raised. Um, but we get, you know, she gives the example of speaking Posh. But it's not as turned up as it was in the original episode, you know, in the original series when she was um, playing Lavinia. Uh, Bucky, I can right, talk hoity-toity. when I need to, right. Exactly. When She's, required so to do. It's, it's not as turned up. It's not, she didn't push it all the way to 11 for here. 
neither mm, hero yeah. when she's given her performance, which is a, kind of a letdown. <sighs> we, we, if you expect gold every time, Mr. Jeff, you'll, you'll get bronze. Yeah. Um, Mr. Humphreys goes back to showing uh, Mavis's <laughs> photo book, and um, she's encouraging him to have a scrap with Malcolm, right? To uh, oh beat him out, uh, beat him up, and show him once and for all that he is just friends with Mavis, and that uh, Malcolm is not her boyfriend, etc. Well, he won't do anything unless he's drunk or had a bad day on the tractor. Or, or loses, has a headache. Or has a headache. Or loses at darts, which might be <laughs> foreshadowing for the next episode, which is called Ooh, the dart match. Don't give everything away, yeah. Mr. Jeff. My goodness. It's funny because at one point she says, uh, you keep everything so tidy, Mr. Humphreys. Uh, I wish you'd let me do more of that. And you can do all the manly all the stuff like work. getting into scraps. Right. You know, gosh, I'd rather keep a clean apartment myself. <laughs> but that's just me. Well, I'd rather I'd rather see uh, Mrs. Clegg Hampton play the cello. Oh well, speaking of, we've seen Mrs. Clegg Hamp- Hampton we before. Have. Haven't we, we have indeed, Mr. Hampton, which is Mr. unusual for us, right, isn't it, yeah. Mr. Jeff? Yeah, she previously applied um, to be the chambermaid, right? When they were in the very beginning, when yeah. they were looking for staff, but she didn't do stairs, she didn't do windows, she didn't do washing up, she didn't change the seats, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they're interviewing her, and she's not giving the answers that they want, and it turns out that she's probably a really terrible cello player. Well, why did you give up playing professionally? Well, my G-string broke on the last night of the proms, (laughs) right? Um, Um, We've talked about the proms before, haven't we? We have. For an American, it's it's hard to, like, understand the cultural significance, but it's, golly, it's this giant cultural thing in... um, Royal Albert Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's every year. It's it's almost like the Fourth of July for the that's UK. Ex- that's exactly what I was going to say. If you think about the Boston Pops playing the Fourth of July, imagine yeah. that running for like two weeks in the middle of spring. Right, that's when proms is. I think so, but I mean yeah. proms. I, I I wonder if when we like an, an American prom when you're in high school it's like a party I wonder if there's like an old ancient Latin root of the word and we, we, it's kind of a party I don't know but um, yeah t- to us the word prom is like oh you mean like when you have a corsage and you're awkwardly dancing a meter apart from your At 17 years old right no. yeah but over there it means something completely different yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was I I was surprised that. Mrs. Clegg Hampton wouldn't use the word G-string. To, you know, the joke. The joke is obviously that she was referring to the string on her cello, but that the audience meant it to mean her underwear. Yeah. Um, but the term G-string has been around since the 19th century, and what it means is that they were using G as a minced oath or an initialism for either girdle or groin, because both of those were very naughty words that you shouldn't say in public. So that was a way of like you know saying your your underwear in a very kind of private way. And now it's become this very sexualized piece of clothing. Literally a string that right. yeah. Well you know you know the rest people. Interesting. Okay. So uh Mrs. Well, Clay, Mrs. Hampton is playing terribly. Uh Tittles for some reason is in her cat <laughs> She's <carrier>. there. <laughs> Caterwauling along, uh, and a, and a, a glass on the bar breaks because the music is so bad. Aw, not very good. But she played at the proms. So we finally get to what's really happening. It's a couple days later. We're in the kitchen, and Mavis is commenting that the Mongolians are very polite. 
So we know okay. that time has passed. Uh, they've, several they've days. met them already. Yeah. Right. And um, we get another brick from through the window. If you go <gasps> down in the woods today, you're in for a big surprise. Great, <laughs> great way to misdirect to put a little bit of innuendo on there without being so full on double entendre, right? So if you go into the the if you go in down the the path the lane down the lane the lane you'll find a big bunch of ruffian rough men decisions decisions yeah and if you go down to the woods today you're in for a big surprise right okay <laughs> and of course it's Mr Humphreys who gets all of these this is perfect right yeah exactly oh Mr Humphreys um, Mr. Thorpe, for some reason, is still here, right? Even though he's the financial manager and doesn't actually have any say in the running of the business or he doesn't, they don't need his help, he's stuck around for a few days to see the Mongolian tour group in. Maybe he wants to talk to the tour director about paying in pounds rather than dung. He wants to revise whatever. those financial policies again. You know. Right. Uh, um. Mr. Rumbledon is in a tuxedo, so I think it's clear who's actually going to be doing the um, entertaining this evening, and it's going to be the staff putting on the show, right? And, of course, Nicholas Smith was an accomplished pianist, and I remember when he sadly passed away, his daughter, I think we talked about this once, his daughter posted a video of Nicholas Smith performing a song that he himself wrote Mm -hmm. as sort of like a little, by the way, dad passed away, and it was really sweet. What a lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah, good for him. So the interpreter is actually the one who's going to be speaking on behalf because none of the Mongolian tour group um, play uh, speak any English, right? Okay. Um, they they introduce her as Miss Long Wee. Yeah. I roll and groan here, right? Yeah, um, of course, we in the UK means urinate, like exactly. a long urination. Yeah. Ha, 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 yeah. Uh, the uh, actor who played the interpreter is named uh, Akimi Otani, uh, okay. She made a few appearances on the bill, uh, and we get a we get a, another joke that seems to go uh, starts to go a little south, where she's bowing and saying "so," which is a Japanese filler word, you know. Um, and so they both, Mister Rumbold and Mister Thorpe, respond "so," and then finally, in the clearest English ever, the interpreter yeah. goes "so." What happens? Right? She's yeah. not. So not only are they misusing a Japanese custom as Mongolian, which they're going to do a lot of uh, in this episode, uh, she turns it around. And I think that this is a yeah. great example of a, this. Is, if they had more jokes like this that were kind of turning the 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 Asian caricature on its head. I think that this could have held up today a lot. This episode could have held up today. Yeah, a lot I more. mean, you're you know, it's, I hadn't thought about that until you said it now, so that's nice. Um, and again, this is a recycled joke from the episode with the Japanese guy and Mr. Lucas and the buckets. Remember, yep. uh, I forgot the episode name, but um, yep. with, Mr. K- remember, with Mr. But, Kato, yeah, so recycled. Yeah, yeah Mr. Kato, yeah. Um, but you're right; she did sort of turn it around. Um, uh, but we will we we shall see that that does not end there, does it? No, it doesn't. So uh, Mavis is our uh, conductor for the evening, and she's the MC, and she says that the first act is going to be the Mongolian National Anthem, and the interpreter stands up and interprets, and so um, breaking news, you know, it's it's a shame that Gladys is not here to help give our sonic cue for breaking news, but (laughs) uh, the interpreter is not actually speaking Mongolian. No. (laughs) Right, right. Don't get out of town. Um, she's speaking, she's speaking a tonal language, 
and Mongolian is not a tonal language. Um, Mongolian actually, to the untrained ear, probably sounds a lot closer to Turkish than it does to Chinese, which is what uh, is probably being spoken here. Uh, it becomes yeah, a little bit. It comes a little bit clearer when the Mongolian gentleman that she interprets for is speaking. He his uh, his, his words sound a lot more China, Mandarin Chinese than uh, hers does. Okay, um, so tonal language. Of course, we know that that means um, the pitch in which you say a word changes the meaning of the word. So you correct. could say it, it, to make a very bad analogy. It's like saying father, 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 father. Like, those are four different words exactly. in, if it was a tonal language. Okay. That's right. And just right. listening to the ways people speak, you can hear that, uh, which they didn't do, as right. you po- correctly pointed out. Well done. So, uh, Mr. Rumboltzer is playing the piano, and Mr. Moulter is on the gong to play the Mongolian National Anthem. And, <laughs> so weird. Uh, um, it sounds distinctly Chinese, right, because it's on yeah, that Chinese dystonic scale uh, where the sharps are the primary notes as opposed to the Western scale where the sharps are the in-between or the intermediary notes. Uh, that's not what the Mongolian national anthem sounds like. You know, if I were to categorize it, it would sound like a Russian um, or a Soviet kind of um, uh, victory march is more okay. of what it sounds like, right? I guess they were thinking in 1993, you know, there's not going to be any Mongolian who ever watches this. Right. No one will ever and, know. And who knows anything <laughs> about Mongolia? And, anyway, you know, yeah, right. yeah. Um, we still love the show, don't worry. <laughs> and, then we, and then we get the, the, the cold bit with Mr. Moulter ringing the gong. They stand up to bow, and then all of the other people bow in response. And they never explain why that is. It's just, as the audience, we have to accept that it's just because they're well, different and we don't know why they do that, but they do, right? Well, no, no. Well, no. To be fair, Miss Mavis, you know, when Mavis when we've jumped forward in time to the present day and Mavis says those Mongolians are so polite with their bowing and whatnot, you know, she does make that, she does give that little bit of foreshadowing, but, and Mm. the truth is Mongolians do bow, but more in terms of, um, as a way to say, thank you when you receive a gift or receive something. It's not, it's not an, it's not a hello. It's not a greeting or a leave taking type thing. Like it is in um, Chinese, Japanese and Korean culture. Right. Um, so there we go. They all of the staff are doing their own individual acts to entertain the audience. <laughs> We're starting off with um, Captain Peacock and Mrs. Slopem, who are doing an excerpt from the opera um, Veronique. Uh, and okay. so um, they don't really sing in an operatic style, but it's more of a patter song. Like it's um, cute too. Also, like the great uh, Peacock and Slocum, as if like. As if These people known, don't know. Right. They're very well known. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I love the dress that Mrs. Slocum walks out in. It's very operatic. It's very, like, old dame kind of yeah. cool. And um, the, the donkey has to get involved for some reason. Apparently, for the plot <laughs> of this opera, you know, they're, they're, they're referring to a donkey. But they have to have one on stage for authenticity. Well, in, of course. Or on stage in the lobby for authenticity. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we get the gag of Mr. Moulter t- trying to coax the donkey in, but he's tied up and then he gets pulled back. Which was really, I mean, blah, you blah, see blah, the blah. actor, Billy Burden, like fall down to the ground and then be pulled from some stage hand off, off screen, 
Which was really cute. I think that was him. I don't think it was a stunt double. No, it? no, it was him. It was definitely him, right? <laughs> it was cute. And of course, um, mule donkeys or mules or whatever are quite stubborn, so they're not going to come no, out when they want. That's so, true. You know. That is true. That was kind of cute. Um, the next act is Miss Brahms, who is reciting uh, a scene from The Merchant of Venice. And I think this was a great opportunity for her to, to speak very Shakespearean. But the gag here is not about Brahms's performance. It's that the interpreter okay. is interrupting her every single line. Uh, and we start with, um, you know, Miss Brahms inter- uh, addressing Portia, one of the characters mm-hmm. in uh, Merchant of Venice, and the interpreter and the delegate from Mongolia thinking that she's talking about a car. The Italian Portia, sports the name car. P-O-R-T-I-A, which is different than the car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could have seen this, like you said, like Miss Brahms uh, did rather elegant Shakespearean blah, blah, blah. But then like the last line co- cockneyed up again, you know, right. like that would exactly. have been really cute. And this is where we first hear the board of the, the, the director delegate from Mongolia speak. And we can clearly hear this. He's speaking Chinese. So. Should they have spoken, should they have attempted to spoken, speak Mongolian here to be more authentic? Well, I mean, I think that, I think that as we had talked about before, probably one of the easiest ways to get around this, um, what we would do today in retrospect is make up a country or whatever stand, right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. make it up. But then you'd have to make up the language for the interpreter uh, and the delegate to be speaking, and then you run the risk of someone making, you know, doing a ching chong joke type thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, speaking Chinese is probably an easy target, again, because it is tonal. It sounds different to Western ears, just like the Chinese, um, a tonal scale that focuses on the sharps. It sounds distinctly Asian. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a way of coding the people as. Uh, foreigners as not speaking English. If they had consulted uh, us, we could have had them do like, uh, oh, we have a, a band of uh, uh, monks in who've all taken vows of silence. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they, okay. like, they, they, they hold up signs like, well done or clap. I don't know. Like, there probably it, could, we're, also we're, be, yeah. there could also be a way rather than the interpreter doing um, what's called consecutive interpretation where Brahm speaks and then the interpreter speaks, then Brahm speaks, then the delegate speaks, you know, that kind of thing. They, yeah. The interpreter could have been a whisper inter- interpreting where they're like whispering in the delegate's ear, but then like the entire crowd wouldn't hear it. I, I don't know. Um, I'm just kind of shrugging my shoulders. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing was just a bit... Ugh. Uh, I, I think it is funny, especially in German, when there's someone translating, and let's say it's like two sentences or like, you know, 25 words. And then it translates to one, like two syllable word. Which they do here as well, right? Which is cute, right? I mean, the, or uh, the opposite, where it's this long, long, long thing, and then it uh, translates to, he agrees. You know, right? Which <laughs> or something I, like that, right? And, and I th- and I think that that's that's a classic joke, and I think that in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the audience, I think the audience missed out on it because it wasn't set up properly, right? You yeah. didn't have the interpreter going on and on and on for what were short sentences in English to be able to come back with a one word response, you know, anything like that. It just was not set up properly. I think again, you know. Um... To prevent the hate mail, if they were no. to have done this today, we're positive that they would have, you know, gone with a different route. And perhaps it's the the idea that, you know, we live in the 21st century with the Internet and suddenly 
people know folks from China. People know folks from Mongolia, inner and outer. Um, well, 1993 the, right. was a lot more isolated in the world because that didn't exist. If the episode were done today, they would probably use an automated assistant like Siri or Alexa to do the interpreting and then bl- you know, blame the computer, blame the robot when they got the interpreting wrong. And there's, yeah. a, way, there's a way to find humor in that. But you know, when we start our own television series, um, you know, we shouldn't <laughs> say that because then people will be like, oh, Then people will think we're serious, right? Um, yeah. The final act is Natasha Lovelock <gasps> and oh. Sergey Humphreys doing a battle from, Humphreys. <laughs> from Romeo and Juliet, right? I thought it was Sergey, but now it's Sir Gay. Exactly. That's there's the joke, right? They they're ballet dancers, so they have to be Russian. Love it. And of course, this feels a bit familiar, doesn't not, Mr. Jeff? It does indeed, because we've seen Mr. Humphreys do ballet several times before in um, when they were uh, strong stuff. This insurance when they use it as exercise, uh, they did it in the Christmas special with the ballet of the toys. Um, he looks very much like he's dressed up like little boy blue again, right? Yeah, but, but, but little boy red in a certain aspect, I, I should say. <laughs> right. Uh, the Mongolians want to know which one is Juliet because they've never seen someone, I guess, as feminine or uh, as, as um, Mr. Humphreys. And then you see the interpreter um, put her hand on her hip in that very fey manner, and they all applaud because you know she's doing a. Uh, Mr. Humphreys is doing such a good job for being a quote-unquote woman. So this, this really did remind me of all of what you've just said. Um, the fact that he's wearing a codpiece. I don't think we ever saw him in a codpiece, which is that red, shocking mm-hmm. red uh, color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved how when they were dancing, he had that lovely like makeup on, his eyebrows, and it was very reminiscent of the old, old series. And then... Um, Joanne Haywood had to like pull him away as if he like was too tired uh, to be pulled off the stage, which was pretty impressive. Well, um, I thought what was really impressive was that Joanne Haywood was on point. Oh like, yeah, she she knows how to do ballet. Who she knew? was dancing ballet. She was dancing on point, which <laughs> you know obviously this was like a thirty second, forty five second skit, so she it wasn't like she was doing an entire act. But that's yeah. tough even for that amount of time if you're not trained. So well, well done, Miss Haywood. Yeah, well, uh, well, you've all done very well. Now that you say that, I think she said that when she was a girl, she either, back then you could either go to dancing school or horse riding school. Right. And she went to dancing school, She went school, to dance actually. school. And that's because when she did to the first couple episodes of Grace and Favor, she had to take riding lessons because she right. kind of fibbed, not really fib, uh, that she could ride a horse. But, um, right. you know, having that conversation with her, uh, I had never really spoken to an actor before about what's it like to prepare for a role. So now anytime I'm watching TV or a film or something and I see someone riding a horse or driving a tractor or whatever, I have to remember like the actor probably didn't know how to do that. And they had to figure it out how to do it to look convincing for us to, to watch To look convincing enjoy. enough, right. Yeah. 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 Oh, gosh. And then the what Mon- happens? The Mongolians seem to be entertained. They clap. <laughs> The rest of the staff comes out. They sing Rule Britannia as a finale, and the episode ends. And Mr. I mean, Mulchard comes out looking like Britannia, lovely, with a sword, and everyone's waving a little little flag. It's almost like that would have been the perfect last episode. We never find bit. out. We never find out if they ended up making the money, if they ended <laughs> up, you know, getting the full amount in pounds, what yeah. happened here, like... 
I, I don't know what I should be expecting anymore from Grace and Favor, but um, it, it just it, it was a sloppy way to do a fish out of water series of gags. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 also, you know, it's 2022. So that's what uh, 30, 29 Ouch. years ago. Ouch. Uh, suddenly we feel old. But, um, you know, we've heard from some fabulous listeners who, one of which is potentially doing some research about a, a book about one of the actors, mm-hmm. um, who says, you know, one of these actors was running around the U.S. looking for people to continue the show, to do another season. Um, you know, it's easy to play arm, armchair historian or mm-hmm. whatever here, but like what 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 would have happened if it had been different? But, you know, maybe two seasons was good. You know, we have two seasons. That's more than zero. It's more than one. But if maybe the next season would have been a lot more of this sort of like, uh, it's a bit weird and... They're doing a lot of recycled stuff, but of course, it's all canon. We've done, what, 90 episodes of the podcast doing all of the original material. Um, I still love the story, but there's some little, I don't know. Like, like we've said before, comedy has changed a lot and evolved a lot and become mm-hmm. a lot faster and tighter Yep. Uh, since this was out. And it's also for an older crowd in 1993, you know? Yep. That's exactly so, right. There we go. So, what are we going to talk about next week, Mr. Brandon? Oh, Lord. So, it's the finale of sorts. Of sorts. You know, I know. I'm clutching my pearls. All right. Uh, We only have one more episode of original Are You Being Served material to review, which will be the next podcast episode. Uh, And that's called The Darts Match. And as Mr. Uh, Jeff eloquently foretold, foreshadowed, uh, we learned that Robert Aethcliff. Uh, I love how she says it. Robert Cliff. Malcolm. Excuse me. Oh, Malcolm. Malcolm Cliff. Uh, he gets angry when he's playing darts. So maybe there's an altercation, a kerfuffle. Maybe. With Mr. Humphreys. We'll find out, won't we? But this will not be the last episode of the podcast. Maybe Correct. one of the last. We're going to do like a mea culpa, all secrets exposed. We have secrets from you, Unanimous. So we can hold them <laughs> from you. <laughs> But anyhow, um, Mr. Jeff, if people want to give us one last voicemail, like that crazy person who left one earlier today, um, you know, how many opportunities more do you think people have? This is probably the last one because we're going to be putting up the categories for the um, senior superlatives or the pussy awards uh, yeah. uh, pretty soon. And then yeah. um, we've got to record the next episode and then that one. So. Your time is ticking like sands through the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. If you, <laughs> These if are you the did, podcasts that are about to stop. Yeah. If, you, if you did want to reach <laughs> out to us now, please stop what you're doing and do it now. And do it on um, Facebook or Twitter or write us an email at that does suit madam spelled with an E at gmail.com. Ding. Or you can call the Peacock hotline at 662-PEACOCK. That's 662-732-2625. And while you're at it, if you wanted to grab some of our That Does Suit Madam merch, now's your chance to do it at our bargain basement shop at imfree.threadless.com. Lovely. And as we have said over 90 times, and we'll say at least a couple more, Mr. Jeff. You've all done done very well. Bye. Bye, Unanimous. That Does Suit Madam is not 
endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are you being served as a copyrighted program of the BBC? The company shall not be liable for any foreign exchange fluctuation between the participants' local currency and the pound sterling. What's the capital of Mongolia? Um, New Mexico. Uh, <laughs> Sheboygan. Sheboygan. Good comedic answer, though. <laughs> Pawsipany. Albuquerque. Albuquerque, because yeah. K's are funny. Rancho okay. Cucamonga. Okay. <laughs>